Well, good evening to you all. I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the same passages we were looking at this morning in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1. I mentioned that I would give a little bit more of a report from our Presbytery meeting. We do appreciate your prayers. We did have very good meetings, both in the prayer times in the business meetings as well. A lot of the stuff is rather mundane. Uh, If you've ever been in these types of meetings, you will know that there's various stages of the meeting. First of all, you have to identify that it is a horse, and then you have to decide with what you're going to beat that horse, and then you commence to beating the horse, and then you have to make sure the horse is dead, And then it seems as if you just keep beating the same horse. But I think that's just the nature of all business meetings. So a lot of it is um, committee reports and and et cetera. But we do praise the Lord that he has prospered many of our churches Uh, financially. Our presbytery does very well. Uh, I think you're all aware generally with uh, the setup of presbytery financially, every church tithes to the presbytery. If we, you know, as, as believers, we tithe to our church, our church tithe to the presbytery. And so the setup for that is what the church's general operating income is, not including special offerings for missionaries or whatnot, but just general budget income from two years ago is the amount of money that is given to the presbytery. So The money that comes in in 2022, for example, is what our church will contribute to Presbyterian 24, if that makes sense. But that money is divided up for various mission works in Liberia, in Jamaica, in Mexico, in the Czech Republic, and and the other mission fields and responsibilities that we have around the world. And it is quite striking that for such a relatively small denomination, uh, we do have a little bit of a footprint uh, around the world in various mission works. But uh, I would highlight uh, the work in Mexico. Jason just recently, they had their first week of prayer uh, for all the ministers in the different churches that are associated with Jason's main mother church there in Mexico City. Those men and their wives were able to join. Uh, You have not met uh, Ramon Sosa, but Ramon Sosa is in the Dominican Republic. His church was approved for constitution. Uh, What will happen in that stage is, um, without being overly complicated, uh, basically that will go to each of the sessions. And as our book of church order is laid out, at least two-thirds of the sessions have to vote to approve his church to become a free Presbyterian church. Uh, but in the will of the Lord, all that will just simply take place. Uh, but his people in his church were interviewed um, as to their stand and understanding of our particular distinctives as a denomination. Uh, and so that was a very happy occasion. Uh, so he'll be approved for you know, full ordination here before long. I mentioned this morning about Lalo, that Lalo was approved for licensing, and Brother Myron Mooney and myself, the end of August, will be going down to uh, Mexico, to Cordoba, 
to visit Lalo and to officially perform that licensure. He was participating in our presbytery meetings via Zoom, uh, but they figured it would be better to just do that in person. He could have done all the yes and I agree and I will and you know, answer all those questions, but he couldn't sign the book. So we have to take the book down there to him and have him sign the thing and it'll all be official. But it's tokens for good. It's tokens of the Lord's movement among our various churches and outreaches. And then we can thank the Lord in our own congregation raising up Brother Jim as an elder, which just means the Lord's not finished. There's more to do. And we're not winding down, but instead we're winding up. So that's all a good thing. But let's seek uh, the Lord in prayer, and then we'll come to uh, two verses, one in the book of Zechariah and one verse in the book of Haggai, and then we'll consider the Lord's word this evening. But let's seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for encouragements that you give us along the way. We confess that so much of life is filled with discouragements. We, we seem to face so many obstacles in our pathway, but we thank you for those tokens of good that you sprinkle along the way to encourage us to continue on. We pray that tonight as we consider your word, that it would be that balm in Gilead means of encouraging us for the responsibilities that are ahead of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read in Zechariah chapter 1, simply the verse number 3, and then over in Haggai chapter 1, verse number 13. Zechariah 1 and verse 3 to begin. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And then Zachari- I'm sorry, Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 13. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And then we'll end our reading simply with those two verses. I want us to look tonight specifically at one central question that arises from Zechariah's prophecy and Zechariah's message to the people from verse number three. And that is simply the question, what does it mean for the Lord to turn to his people? What does that mean? When the Lord says, I will turn unto you, what is he saying that he is going to do for us as his people? This morning, we look primarily at the part of the verse that commands us to turn to the Lord. And we can easily understand that that means that we must repent of our evil ways. We can easily understand that it means we need to stop doing the wrong things that we have been doing. We need to change direction, and we need to start doing the right thing. That's easy and clear for us to understand. But what does it mean for the Lord to turn to his people? Are we to understand that in some way God was going the wrong direction and God is turning around toward us? Well, I think it's obvious to us all that, of course not, that is not what's going on. God was never going the wrong direction. It was we who were going away from him. But a very simple 
explanation of this would be simply to say that when we are going away from the Lord, the Lord, in a way, in a sense, stops demonstrating himself to us in the same way. The Lord withholds his blessings and his graces from us. The Lord, as it were, covers himself and does not allow himself to be seen by us in the same way as when we have turned our hearts toward him. We can say that the Lord is distant and not close when we are walking away from him. But when we turn to the Lord and the Lord turns to us, the Lord begins to do exactly the opposite of all those things that I've just described. Haggai, we read that verse in Haggai 1 and verse number 13. He uses some language that I think we can understand. Haggai's message from the Lord is simply this. I am with you, saith the Lord. I think in the way that we would say this, we would say, I am for you. I am on your side, saith the Lord. That's what the Lord communicates when the Lord turns to his people. If I can bring in a New Testament verse, James writes it to us this way. James says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. James tells us that for God to turn to his people means that he comes close to them. He draws near to them. And so this evening, I want to very simply point out five things that it means for the Lord to turn to his people. Five things that it means for the Lord to turn to his people. First of all, it means that he grants us his presence. He grants us his presence. And I think this is the obvious very surface, obvious understanding of both the words of Zechariah and the words of Haggai. What else can it mean when James says, I will draw nigh to you. I will turn to you. I am with you. All that language obviously implies that the Lord is granting to us his presence. And the Lord has promised that all throughout the scripture. The Old Testament prophets introduce us to this concept and this idea of Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah may have been the first of the writing prophets to use that word, to use that language that God is with his people. But I would submit to you that we learn about that way back in Genesis that God was with his people. God walked alongside Adam and Eve in the garden. And even after the fall, God still came and was with them. The Lord was with Noah as he was building the ark. The Lord was with his family as he was protecting them from the worldwide flood. And you go through all the patriarchs, And God has always been a God who is with his people. When God turns and draws near and demonstrates his presence to his people, that's what it is for God to turn unto us. 
We have that promise all through the Scriptures. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. We will be along the way looking at some other passages of Scripture, many in the New Testament, simply to support what we're reading here in Zechariah. Matthew 28, we come to the end of the book of Matthew, and Christ is just on the very verge of ascending back up into heaven. And you're all very familiar with these words. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There the Lord draws near. He promises to turn to those who are his people and those who are about his business, going into all the world and teaching and preaching the message of Jesus Christ. He's promised to turn to them, to demonstrate his presence to them in a very special and unique way. He's a God who has promised to be a friend that sticks closer than any brother. He's promised to demonstrate his presence in such a way that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And even during his ministry, when he was dealing with his disciples and the the fragileness of their faith, we come to John chapter 14, and the Lord there tells his disciples, I have to go away. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to ascend back up to the Father. But don't worry. I'm going to send you the Comforter. I'm still going to be with you. My presence is still going to be with you by my Spirit. And we as believers have that still, that indwelling Spirit that is within us, that leads us and guides us in the way that we should go. You're not going to sense the nearness of the Lord in your heart when you're in the middle of pursuing sin. But we have the promise in Zechariah, turn unto me, and the Lord says, I'm going to turn unto you, and I'm going to demonstrate to you my presence. And I'm going to do it in a very special way, a way that you can sense in your soul by my spirit. And so the Lord demonstrates his presence. That's one thing that it means for the Lord to turn to his people. But secondly, for the Lord to turn to his people means that he communicates to us his love. He communicates to us his love. It's only when we're in sin that we feel estranged from the love of God. Because sin, as it were, is like bricks that stack up and over time begin to build a barrier between us and the Lord. Sin brings with it a sense of of ongoing guilt and shame. Sin dulls our perception and our understanding of God's love for us. Sin makes us feel as if God doesn't love us anymore. He does. But when we turn to the Lord and the Lord turns to us, He comforts us by communicating to us a very special sense of His love. There may be a better illustration of Scripture in, in Scripture than the one I'm going to give you, but 
I think this illustrates it for us quite well. Um, you don't necessarily need to turn over to Mark chapter 5. I think you're all very familiar with the story in Mark chapter 5, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, the demoniac of Gadara. And there, this man, he was in the tombs. He was a crazy, wild man. And the people of the city tried to tame this man. They, they tried to subdue him. They, they tried to get him under control. But he was a man that was uncontrollable because he was possessed with these demons. They even went to the extent of, of chaining this man up, trying to control him and, and trying to, to just keep him under control and subdued. And they couldn't do it. He would break the chains and he, was, he, he would run around just a, a crazy man until one day the Lord came. And the Lord drew near to this man. The Lord turned this demoniac and he cast the demons out. And the Lord made his presence known to this man in a very special way, in a very compassionate way, in a very loving way. And this man was made whole. And in the aftermath of that, this man wanted to come and follow Christ. He wanted to go with him wherever the Lord was going next. But we read in Mark 5, verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. This man was a very special object of the love of Christ. A man who in himself did not turn to the Lord on his own, as none of us do. As none of us do. But the Lord turned to him and in the Lord turning to him showed him great love and great compassion. He had great compassion on him. And that man overwhelmed with a sense of that love and compassion that he had seen from Christ, he went and began, became himself an evangelist for Christ and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled at the transformation in this man. The Lord communicates his love to us by warming our hearts by his spirit. Is that not what the Lord did? Pastor Kimbrough was preaching on this just recently in Luke chapter 24 of those two men on the road to Emmaus. Was Jesus not communicating his love to them when he turned to them and he began to open to them the scriptures and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, revealing all these things from the Old Testament concerning Christ? That, that was a demonstration and a manifestation of, of the love of Christ to these men. And their hearts were warmed within them as they heard that word and as they experienced that manifestation of the love of Christ to them. And so the Lord communicates to us his love. A third thing that it means for the Lord to turn to us is that it means he applies to us his blessings. He applies to us his blessings. The Lord blesses us with spiritual things. And the Lord also blesses us with physical things. We're, we're very well versed, I think, and, and, and it's normally our focus to focus on the spiritual blessings from Christ. He does all those things. The book of Ephesians tells us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to list 14 different ways that we are blessed spiritually. We're justified. We're adopted. We've been elected by the God of heaven. 
Our sins have been forgiven. We're adopted into his family. On and on in Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle unfolds for us the great blessings of God. But the Lord blesses his people physically, in tangible ways as well. And I think sometimes we, we overlook that. We don't emphasize that aspect of it, perhaps, as we are. We're not Gnostics. We're not Gnostics. If you're not familiar with the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, Gnosticism believed that anything that was physical was bad and only the spiritual could be good. And that heresy in the early church led many to deny the physical body and the true humanity of Jesus Christ. They said there was no way that Jesus Christ could truly be human because human flesh is physical and physical is sinful. And therefore, Christ, the Redeemer, the Mediator, he couldn't have a true body. They taught that the spirit of Jesus temporarily overtook a body rather than what the Bible teaches us, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus Christ was truly born of a virgin, truly bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. They denied the physical, and only the spiritual could be good. And we don't need to fall into that wrong way of thinking, and we don't need to be embarrassed or shy away from the fact that God does bless his people spiritually, physically. He does that to degrees, obviously. There are Christian people that are very poor. We are some of them. But yet the Lord does bless, and the Lord does provide the needs of his people. I think sometimes we're scared to talk this way because of how the Pentecostal and charismatic name-it-and-claim-it type preachers have 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 hijacked this very idea that God blesses his people. The way that the prosperity preachers would hijack this concept. But when the Lord turns to us as people, he doesn't turn to harm us. He doesn't turn to impoverish us. He turns to bless. He turns to pour out manifestations of his love and his goodness. It's impossible to love without giving. We preach that all the time when we look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you love, you will give. That's just the way it is. If you consider those in scripture that the Lord blessed, Job, a contemporary of Abraham, probably the first written scripture that we have that early. But Job was the richest man alive. Now the Lord took everything away from Job through through Satan, allowing Satan to do that. But Job was decimated. But you come to the end of the book of Job and everything was restored to him tenfold. Tenfold it was given back. The Lord's blessing. You read of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, men who were incredibly wealthy. The Lord has always had his servants that he blesses. This past week I heard a story of a man, a Christian man, a Christian businessman, 
who actually paid, this is the way I heard the story, I don't have any reason to doubt the story, but he paid Ford Magazine $250,000 so that they would not publish his name on their list of the top 400 people in America. He paid them to not publish his name. Christian organization went to this man and asked, they, they said, you, you have given to us before, and we know you give to many charities and many religious organizations. Can we please this year be fifth on your list? They got $30 million they were fifth on this man's list, this organization's, or I'm sorry, this organization was fifth on this man's list. He gave other Christian causes, he gave to other Christian causes, but fifth on his list, he gave them $30 million. The Lord blesses his people. The Lord is able to provide far more than we can ever ask or think. I know that passage, and Pastor Kimbrough very rightly points out that passage when the Lord says that he's able to do above and beyond, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think, that really in the context that is manifesting to us and giving us a greater capacity to receive the love of God. In context, that's what it is. But we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We serve the God who owns all the hills. A God who, who, who loves to bless his people. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro to demonstrate his love and, and to do good to his people. We were looking at that passage of scripture not too long ago in the, the Father-Son prayer breakfast. The primary way that the Lord blesses us is spiritual. Obviously, that's the thing. Obviously. And if the Lord doesn't give us a dime, he still blesses us. He still blesses us spiritually. And as I've already referenced from Ephesians chapter 1, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything is going to be okay. We have heaven as our home. And how much more can we be blessed than that? But that's not all. The Lord blesses his people when he turns to them, when he sets his focus and his love upon them. When, when the Lord turns to us, his people, he blesses his people. He provides our needs. But there's a fourth, a fourth thing that I want to point out. When the Lord turns to his people, it means that he gives us his help. He gives us his help. In every temptation, God has promised to give us a way of escape. In every temptation, he's given us a way of escape. I've said many times that I have prayed and I have recommended others pray that the Lord would show you that way of escape before rather than after. How often have we found ourselves in a particular temptation and we have fallen to sin only after the fact to look back on the whole circumstance and it dawned on us, had I only done that, had I only done that, it would have prevented all this. Well, may the Lord give us help to see the way out, to see the, the path of holiness rather than falling into temptation. And every trial the Lord has promised to give help. This 
most recent men's prayer breakfast. I was using an illustration from what we looked at in Zechariah chapter 3 of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And I made the point that the Lord does not kick his people while they're down. The Lord, the, the Lord's M.O., if we can talk that way without being uh, frivolous or flippant, but the Lord's M.O. is to help. The Lord's character is not to beat us down. The Lord's character is not to, to kick us when we're hurting and when we're falling. That's what Satan does. That passage in Zechariah 3, it says that Satan was there to accuse him. The, the Hebrew is literally Satan was Satanizing. The accuser was accusing. That's what Satan does. Satan is the one who kicks us while we're down. Satan is the one who offers no help at all. Satan is the one who paints this rosy picture in front of the sinner, only luring them in and drawing them into a pathway, and they don't see the cliff on the other side. And then when they fall over the cliff, Satan has abandoned them, and there's no help. There's no hope. But the Lord doesn't deal with us that way. The Lord is the one who is our helper. And when the Lord turns to us as people, as Zechariah uses these words here, when we turn to the Lord and the Lord turns to us, one of the things it means is that he turns to us in help. He helps us. Haggai, he uses some different language. He says, I am with you. I'm for you. The Lord is not against you, but instead is for you. The Lord is on your side. If you turn to the Lord, the Lord is not fighting against you. The Lord is not trying to make things more complicated. The Lord is not trying to frustrate your purposes when you turn to him. Now, we saw this morning in Haggai, as Haggai said, you people have your priorities all out of whack. These were people that, that were not turning to the Lord in the right way. And the Lord did frustrate their efforts. The Lord did send a drought. The Lord did cause them to not prosper. He caused their crops not to grow. But that was an evidence of his punishment for, the, for them, for their sin. But the Lord says, you turn to me, and I am going to help you. You're not going to face frustration and difficulty along the way. The Lord will help you in every way. He'll help you to turn from sin. He'll help you to defeat even that besetting sin. The Lord will help you in parenting your children. The Lord will help you in, in keeping your temper under control. The Lord will help you to be content with what you have. He'll help you to be content with the circumstances that you know. He'll, be he'll help you to know what to say in that moment of evangelism where you have an opportunity to speak for Christ. He'll help you in your marriage, to strengthen your marriage. He'll help you in, in communication with your spouse and, and with your children. He'll help you to manage all your household responsibilities. He'll help you figure out how to teach your children. He'll help you know what that right choice is to make. The Lord's a helper. When the Lord turns to his people, he helps them. He doesn't leave them stranded. He's for us. And we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 33:20, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our 
we can echo those words in Psalm 70, verse 1, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. The Lord is a helper to his people. He doesn't abandon us, especially when he turns to us in this way that he's promised in Zechariah. I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. He's a covenant-keeping God to help us as his people. But one last thing that I'll point out to you this evening. When the Lord turns to his people, it means that he protects us from our enemies. He protects us from our enemies. This is one of the primary mediatorial roles of Jesus Christ. He's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. And as a king, he first subdues us to himself, and then he defeats and he conquers all his into our enemies. And when the Lord turns to his people, he turns to protect them. He turns to protect you from the enemy that you face. He protects us, obviously, from that great enemy, the devil. He's done that, first of all, by rescuing us from his kingdom. He's done that by subduing us to himself, by, by conquering our sinful hearts and taking us out from under his dominion from adopting us out of the family of Satan. We, it used to be true that we were of our father, the devil. But not anymore. We've been brought out of that. We've been rescued from that enemy. We've been protected from that enemy. And now, as the Bible describes it, we are safe in the arms of Jesus. We are in his tender care. We're no longer under Satan's dominion. And so the Lord has already turned to us in that way, in that way of salvation, turned and subdued our hearts. The psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 83, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. The psalmist there says the same thing that Zechariah has said here in chapter 1 and verse number 3. Turn us again and cause your face to shine upon us. This is what Zechariah says, Turn unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. I will cause my face to shine upon you, and we shall be saved. We'll be rescued from our enemies. We'll be protected from that great enemy, the devil. But the devil's one enemy we face. But there's another great enemy that we face, and that is the person in the mirror. When you look in the mirror every day, you see an enemy before you. The enemy of your own flesh, the enemy of your own sinful desires. I personally am the first to admit I've made a lot of stupid decisions in my life. I've, I've thought wrongly about a lot of things. I've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of sins. Is it not true that so often we are our own worst enemy? And we can trust the Lord when he turns to us even to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from our own foolishness. Because does the Bible not teach us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked? It tells us that it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, 
who can know it? We need to be protected from our own sinful desires. We need to be protected from our own foolishness. And the Lord has promised to do that. When the Lord turns to us, he protects us. Proverbs 3, a passage you're very familiar with, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. He will direct your path away from your own foolish desires. When in all your ways you acknowledge him, that that word knowledge is, is actually just the word know God. In all your ways know the Lord. Know him. Not just acknowledge, yeah, God's, God exists, or yes, God is there. It's not just a flippant acknowledging a fact. But this is a know God. Know him. Come to learn who he is. And is that not us turning to him? And the response of that is the Lord turning to us to protect us, to guide us in that pathway and the way that we should go. We focus so much on verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 3. Basically everybody in this room, I would assume, has memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But how many know verse 7? Verse 7 goes on to say, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And you see, that's where we need protection from ourselves because our natural tendency is to be wise in our own eyes. Our, our natural tendency is to inflate ourselves in such a way that we justify our actions. We inflate ourselves in such a way that our sin makes sense to us. And we excuse it. And we're very quick to excuse sin in our own hearts while condemning sin in somebody else's, even though it's the exact same sin in theirs that's in mine. But I got a good reason for mine, and you don't have any reason for yours. And that's human nature, and that's wrong. It's sinful. But we, we cannot be wise in our own eyes. But the Lord protects us from even that when he turns to us. He protects us from our enemies. That enemy of Satan, yes, but that enemy of our own heart, he protects us from. And he hedges us in, and he, 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 he keeps us on that straight pathway that we are to go on. When the Lord turns to us, we can count on him for protection from our enemies. You never are going to do better than to turn to the Lord. You'll never do better than to turn to the Lord. And you'll never know anything better than the Lord turning to you. You'll never know better. You young people are, are very aware of the fact because you have ears and you listen you're very aware of the fact that in our prayer meetings, there is, I'm not going to say never, but there's hardly a prayer meeting in this church that goes by that we don't pray for the young people of our congregation. I can tell you from our presbytery meeting that every single prayer meeting we had, um, one of one of the most prayed for things was the youth of our denomination. The ministers of our church have a heart for the next generation of young people. They have a heart 
to, to pray and to see you young people turn your hearts to the Lord. You know, many of them, all of them, have seen disaster, have seen shipwreck. We have ministers with adult children that claim to be atheists. That's grieving. It's grieving. And they pray in tears for their children to come to the Lord. Children that have gone wayward in different ways and to different degrees, but not following after the things of the Lord. Continuing on in rebellion against God, as we were looking at this morning, ignoring the word of the Lord, word that they've grown up hearing their entire lives. They, they literally grew up in a preacher's house, but have turned from the Lord. Our prayer for those young people, and for you young people, is that the Lord would turn to you. You'll never turn to the Lord until the Lord first turns to you. But the Lord has promised to turn. We turn. We think we turn first. Do we not sing that? I sought the Lord. But afterward, I, I realized what really happened. I thought I was seeking you. I thought I was seeking the Lord. Only really to come to understand that the whole time, it was the Lord seeking me. That's our testimony. That's all of our testimony. We pray for the Lord to turn in graciousness, to protect you young people from the sins and the scars that are there. I've, I've used the illustration many times of the horizon and height. Your parents are taller than you. I don't mean physically. But I mean they're taller than you in the sense that they can see farther over the horizon than you can see. They know that there are more dangers over the horizon than you can perceive. I don't mean this insultingly, but you're just too short to see that far. And your parents can see farther because your parents have already been through those difficulties. They've already experienced those along the road. They know where the various tripping points are. They don't know all of them. Of course they don't know all of them. But they know more of them than you. And they love you. And they seek the welfare of your soul. And they don't want you to trip over the same things that they tripped over. They don't want you to fall into the same hole that they fell into. They want you to turn to the Lord. And the Lord has promised to turn to you. Now the Lord will turn to you first. Of course, we understand the gospel. We know the gospel. But turn to the Lord. Turn unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. When the Lord has turned to you, there's hope for the future. When the Lord turns to his people, there's hope for the future. There's peace in your heart. There's a skip in your step, and there's a song in your heart. And when the Lord turns to his people, there's joy in serving Jesus. And may we all pray for that, that we would know in our own hearts the Lord turning to us. Amen. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we do thank you tonight for the promise that you have given to us in Scripture. The promise that you will turn to us. We know, just as the psalmist put it, where he cries out, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine. We know it's true that we won't turn to you unless you first turn us. And we pray that you would do that work. Turn us to you. Turn yourself to us. And we know your love and your blessing and that peace in our heart, that protection from our enemy, all these good things we've been considering this evening. We pray for ourselves in this week that's before us. We all have different responsibilities there are different troubles that lie before us, different decisions we have to make, things that have to be done. And we pray for strength and help to meet each one. We ask in Jesus' name.